Hebrews 11:6 going back to that where we said it was without faith it is impossible to please God. Well, if biblical faith is putting your trust in what you have good reason to believe is true, then you can understand why God would not be pleased with someone who outright rejects those good reasons and refuses therefore to put their trust in him. Hey guys, I'm Bill Westers, and this is the Encountering Truth Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Encountering Truth Podcast, where we examine the evidence for Christianity, engage culture with kindness and conviction, and encounter Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Well, if you're watching on video today, you can see that I've got my University of Michigan football shirt on. Go blue. <laughs> if you are uh, an Ohio State fan, you're probably clicking unsubscribe right now saying boo. <laughs> well, you know, it's been a great season for uh, football here in the Mitten State. Uh, the Wolverines just won the 23-24 National Championship for the first time in 26 years since 1997 and then the Detroit Lions actually won their first playoff game in 32 years so it's been a great season uh, hopefully we've got more to come with those Lions um, but talking about the Wolverines uh, you know I, I've always been a big Michigan fan um, but if I'm honest I did not have a whole lot of faith in the Michigan team to win the national championship. Why? Well, because honestly, I had not seen a whole lot of evidence that a Michigan team under Jim Harbaugh could win the national championship or much less win a postseason game of any sort, a bowl game. They have lost six straight bowl games and they uh, under Jim Harbaugh, they had only won one, and that was, I think, his first year. So um, I didn't have a lot of faith. Now, I hoped they could win it, but if I'm honest, I had a little doubt. I had my doubts. And so the question is, does that make me a bad Michigan fan? Just because I, I had doubts that they would win. Now, that brings up another question. Well, if if we as Christians have some doubts, does that make us a bad Christian or less of a Christian somehow? I mean, after all, Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so it's important for us to have a clear understanding of what biblical faith is all about. Because uh, this is a situation where uh, atheists will attack Christians because they believe that they don't have a reasonable faith, that their, their faith is blind, that Christians have blind or unreasonable faith. And so atheist Richard Dawkins, for example, he says that faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate the evidence. Faith is belief in spite of even perhaps because of the lack of evidence. But see, the problem is, is that Richard Dawkins, and sadly many Christians, don't really understand what true biblical faith is all about. 
See, biblical faith is not actually at odds with reason. It's not unreasonable. Biblical faith is actively putting your trust in something that you have good reason to believe is true. Okay, let me say that again. True biblical faith is actively putting your trust in what you have good reason to believe is true. In fact, in the book of Acts, the very first chapter, uh, verse 3, it says that after Jesus had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So even after Jesus had proven to them that he was God, he continued to do many convincing proofs after he was raised from the dead. That very act of rising from the dead was proof that he was God, and then he continued to do many more convincing proofs. Because, again, those proofs is evidence uh, that Christianity is an evidential faith. And then in Acts chapter 17, verse 2 and 3, we read that, as usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah he says. So we can see him reasoning and explaining and proving. And so Christian faith is an evidential faith. And so what is the evidence then? Well, we've talked about this stuff on the uh, podcast before, but we have things like the cosmological evidence that the universe had a beginning, and whatever has a beginning has a cause, and if the universe had a beginning, then the universe must have had a cause. We can see that the universe appears to be finely tuned for human life. And we can look at the biological evidence and how uh, life in the universe could have emerged from non-life or that biological uh, organisms even appear to be designed. We can look at mental evidence and how this non-material consciousness emerged from unconscious matter out there, and then how we as humans, as free agents, uh, how, how we can be free agents in a world that is just otherwise just cause and effect. And then finally, we've talked about the moral argument that there is a transcendent objective moral standard, and... Uh, that exists in our universe, and and then, of course, how evil and injustice continue to persist in spite of our best efforts. So those are some of the evidence for the existence of God. And then there's also the evidence that we see uh, in the Bible itself that the Bible is reliable, that it's early, eyewitness, uh, they're corroborated from outside sources uh, and inside sources, and they're accurate over time. And then we can see that, uh, that they are free of ulterior motive in the gospel writers and the New Testament writers. And so uh, we can see that the Bible is reliable. And then, of course, 
that we've talked about the evidence of, for the resurrection, how there was an empty tomb, and how uh, the disciples had real experiences that they believed to be the appearances of the risen Jesus, and how those appearances, those experiences, they transformed their lives, including the lives of James, the, the unbelieving brother of Jesus, and of Saul, uh, who was against Christianity and how he was transformed to being one of the greatest proponents and wrote half the New Testament, right? Uh, and then they, that they would be willing to die excruciating deaths for their belief in the resurrection. And so this is all the evidence. So Christianity is based on this evidence. And so we can say that reason is not the opposite of faith. They are not at odds like a lot of the atheists want to make us and make everybody believe. Uh, and the next thing is that doubt is not the opposite of faith. And it, see, Jesus didn't condemn people who doubted. We can read throughout the New Testament and see that some of the people have doubts, but Jesus never condemned them. He actually knew the importance of providing that evidence. That's why he performed many of the miracles that he did. Jesus, like we said, we, we, Jesus offered many convincing proofs both after his resurrection and before. Um, and he says that I, in John chapter 5, verse 36, he says, But I have greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. So the very works that Jesus did were evidence pointing to the evidential nature of Christianity. And then again, in John 10, Jesus says, If I am not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them, and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know that and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. So Jesus saw the importance of having evidence, good reason to believe something. And so that's why he performed many of the miracles that he performed. And he didn't condemn doubt, those who doubted. In fact, if we look at the disciples... Uh, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23 to 27, when they're in the boat, he says, as he got into the boat, that's Jesus, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. He said to them, why are you afraid? You of little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. So Jesus calls them out and says, Why are you so afraid, you of little faith? So he, he calls out their lack of faith, but he doesn't condemn them. He doesn't rebuke them. For their lack of faith. Instead, he turns and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And then you can look at John the Baptist, who is the cousin of Jesus. And if you think about who John the Baptist was, uh, he was one of the greatest uh, promoters of Jesus in the first place. But then he gets captured and put into prison. And 
and he sends his, his men to, to Jesus to say, are you the one? In Luke 7, uh, verse 20 to 23, we can read, when the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that time, Jesus healed many people of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So this is John the Baptist, the very cousin of Jesus, who leaped in his mother's womb in the presence of of Jesus when when Jesus was in the womb of Mary. And this was John the Baptist who baptized Jesus. He was there when the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. And he was there when the voice spoke from heaven saying, You are my son, and you I am well pleased. So the very John the Baptist that knew all of this, that saw all of this, he had doubts. And does Jesus condemn him? No. He says, report back to John everything that you have seen. The lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. This is evidence that I am, that Jesus is the one that John was looking for. And then we can move on to talk about Thomas the famous Doubting Thomas, right? In John chapter 20, verse 24 to 29, what happens here? Well, Thomas, one of the 12, who was not with the disciples when Jesus came, and so the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Thomas is there saying, I will never believe unless I touch him with my own hands. He had this doubt. But Jesus, again, does not reject him, condemn him, or even rebuke him. He shows up and he says, here I am. Do what you need to do. Fix that doubt. Because evidence is important. Put your hand in my side. Touch the holes in my hands. And Thomas responds, my Lord, my God. So notice that what Thomas says, though. I'm going to take this a little bit of a different direction. He says, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. So not only was Thomas actually doubting, but in this situation, Thomas was actually denying 
Christ. Now, Sean McDowell, uh, incredible apologist at Biola University, uh, he had a recent video come out where he said that we should actually stop calling Thomas Doubting Thomas and instead maybe call him Denying Thomas. Why? Because he says that without realizing it, we send a message uh, that if somebody has a question and they have a doubt, that it's akin to completely rejecting Christ. And it doesn't allow room for those who say, I believe, but I have doubts and I have questions, which is why Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is. So we need to allow for doubt and questions because uh, shaming or condemning people when they have doubts or questions is why a lot of people end up deconstructing their faith and turning away from Christianity. They're often told something like, oh, you just have to have more faith, or you just need to believe. And so they have questions, uh, but they feel like these the Christian leaders in their life, they either don't want to answer their questions, or they just don't know the answers, or and that there are no answers. And so they end up oftentimes looking elsewhere. And so we need to be able to be open to those questions and be able to provide answers for them other than something like just believe or just have more faith. Because remember that doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. So biblical faith is actively putting your trust in what you have good reason to believe is true. So we have to move from belief that to belief in. Remember that even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God and they tremble. But we have it's not about just believing that He is God, but we have to put our belief in Him as our Savior. And so if we take a look at all of the evidence, we will find that that evidence doesn't point to the left, it doesn't point to the right, it points in a clear direction straight towards the existence of God and of Jesus as Lord. But if the evidence leads in that clear direction, God asks us to take a step, not a blind leap, but a step of faith over into decision to belief in. So biblical faith is evidential. In Hebrews 11:6, going back to that where we said that it was without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, if biblical faith is putting your trust in what you have good reason to believe is true, then you can understand why God would not be pleased with someone who outright rejects those good reasons and refuses, therefore, to put their trust in him. And in, so in chapter 11 of Hebrews, we call it the famous uh, heroes of the faith chapter, right? And we see the stories of these heroes of the faith in, in, in that chapter that all deal with people who have uh, seen firsthand what God can do and what he has done in the past. And so as a result, they were willing to take God at his word and put their trust in him for other situations. And they had the evidence of God's faithfulness. Uh, for instance, if you look at Noah, 
Well, Noah was warned in the past uh, in it, to build an ark. He had an experience with God, and he trusted God to uh, enough, and he took him at his word, and so he built the ark. And Abraham, Abraham had seen God's provision bringing him into a new land, and so he was willing to sacrifice his own son. And then it says that he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Why? Because of everything that he had seen God provide in the past. He says God will provide the sacrifice just like God provided for him in the past. God actually provided Isaac himself as his only son. And now God, and so he trusted him for that. He saw God come through. And now when it's time to sacrifice, he knew that God would provide the sacrifice. He saw God's provision in the past, so that helped him to trust him in that new situation. And then if you look at Moses, Moses, his own life was evidence of God's deliverance. He was supposed to be dead, but he was delivered from the Nile River and brought into Pharaoh's house. And so he had seen God's deliverance. And so he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And uh, he his, because of his faith, he left Egypt. And because of his faith, they crossed the Red Sea. And because he trusted in what God had done, he continued to remember all that God had done. And that was faith. Based on the evidence in the past, he was willing to put, he had good reason to believe, to put his trust in God and what is true. So in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, I love this. It says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare it to you, the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so we can go back to John chapter 20, verse 29, and look at what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So the gospel writers shared their words with us because they saw and believed and now we, though we have not seen with our own eyes or uh, observed or touched with our hands, we have the opportunity to believe based on their eyewitness testimony and based on the evidence that we have at our disposal. And so let's go back to the Michigan football. Okay, I had my doubts, but... In retrospect, maybe my doubts were actually unreasonable, but I just couldn't get past that one idea that I hadn't really seen Jim Harbaugh able to lead the Michigan team to a postseason win. But if I would have looked at the rest of the evidence instead of just that one thing that I was having a really hard time getting past with that, that one doubt, if I would have looked at that fact that Michigan's defense was the best in all of college football. They only allowed nine and a half points per game on average. Uh, that their turnover rate, uh, the turnover margin, was also the best in college football. 
Uh, if I would have looked at the fact that Blake Corum had the most rushing touchdowns in all of the NCAA and and the most rushing touchdowns in all of Michigan uh, program history, if I would have looked at J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback, and saw that he had the third best quarterback ranking uh, rating in all of college football and this, the sixth best completion percentage, if I would have taken a look at all of those uh other aspects, I could have come and looked at the cumulative case for Michigan to win. And I could have come to a reasonable conclusion that they actually had the possibility to win the national championship. And that's what Christianity is like. Is there a hundred percent certainty? Did I have a hundred percent certainty that uh, based on that, all that evidence that Michigan would win? No, there were still questions. I still had the one thing that I had my doubt, a hard question to get past. And that's like Christianity. If you look at all of the, the cumulative case and all of the evidence that we talked about, uh, does that all prove Christianity with a hundred percent certainty? Of course not. There's still questions. But you know what? Nobody lives their life needing to be 100% certain on every little thing. Every time you get on an airplane, you're not 100% certain that it's run through the security checks, that that pilot is well-trained. You're pretty sure, but you can't be 100% sure. Every time you sit down in a chair, you can't be 100% certain that that's even going to hold you up. Nobody lives their life with where everything has to be a hundred percent certainty. And so are there still questions and room for doubt? Yeah, definitely. But again, if you look at that whole cumulative case and all of the evidence, then you can come to a reasonable conclusion that Christianity is true. So thank you guys so much for listening to the Encountering Truth podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, uh, if you liked this episode, make sure to share it with a friend, post it on social media, uh, make sure to subscribe and click that bell icon so you get notified anytime a new episode comes out, and uh, check out our website, EncounteringTruth.org, and, and the Facebook page as well. So, uh, Because remember, our goal is to really just get the word out so that we can reach more people and help them to examine the evidence engage culture, and encounter Jesus. God bless. We'll see you next time.